All right, so today we're going to look at various kinds of prayers that we find in the Bible. Now, uh, I just listed them separately like this because that's what we find. It doesn't mean, let's put it this way, you can put them all into one prayer. It's not, you know, God's not bureaucratic. <laughs> like you fill the other wrong form, you know, try something else. No, that's, it's not that way, because God looks on the heart, right? But within, when we study them separately, we begin to pick up some things that help us to understand what we're doing. That's always a good thing, if you know what you're doing. <laughs> and uh, the Bible tells us uh, what to do and how to do. Also, I've always seen prayer as a business meeting with the king. Because we're ambassadors, right? Uh, we represent heaven on earth. And prayer is our communication with head office. And also, of course, uh, Ephesians 2, chapter 2 tells us we are citizens of the kingdom. And also, we, we're members of the household of God. So there's a very strong relationship there, which helps us to build our faith and our confidence when we do go to God in prayer. So this is quote here by uh, D.L. Moody. Uh, for those who don't know, he was a very well-known minister way back then in the 18, late 1800s. Very interesting uh, biography if you want to read something very interesting. So he said, I believe in specific prayer. Abraham, Abraham prayed for Sodom. Moses interceded for the children of Israel. How often our prayers go all around the world without real specific asking for anything. And often when we do ask, we don't expect anything. Many people would be surprised if God did answer their prayers. He's right. So when you go to God in faith, as we've seen, you're very specific in what you ask. Uh, because if you're not, that's where you're going to see miracles, if God just comes to the specifics. And it's amazing. Uh, I'm thinking a little bit. Uh, after my parents uh, retired, uh, they wanted, my dad always had a nice car. But when they retired, and this is the two of them, and they're getting old, they wanted to buy a new car, a smaller car. And somebody told them <coughs> that they needed to be specific when they pray for a car, or whatever. So the two of them sat down, and they wrote down what they wanted. I mean, everything, the color, the car, the model, the, the, the mileage, everything, all down. And what they were looking at, they wanted to buy not a new car, but a, but a floor model that had like 10,000 kilometers from the clock. And it was a, a, a Datsun back in those days, it's Nissan now. And uh, it had to be yellow and as a whole thing. And sure enough, that's exactly what they got. And it has to have wow. a brown leather top. A, a leather roof, leather top, and all, you know. And that's exactly what they got. And that thing lasted 
for, I mean, that was years the last and years. Card, that was actually. the last card. <laughs> and um, when I visited South Africa, I mean, that thing was probably, I don't know, 20 years old. I used item. That, it was a collector's item. Yes, yeah, it was. You know, and I used it when <clears> I visited the churches. And some people asked me, where did you get this thing? And why is it looking so good? It looked new. <laughs> it really, it really was a blessing, you know. So, uh, uh, yeah, we need to be specific, you know. Zoom in on exactly what you want, because that's where you're going to see. When you build confidence, when you see God answering those specifics in prayer. Okay, so uh, there are various kinds of prayers that we read uh, read of in the Bible, and we're going to look into it off the, the bat here. Uh, Jesus gave us what we, we call the Lord's Prayer. You cannot pray that prayer when you're praying for a car <laughs> or for healing, like some people do. When they have a problem, that's what they pray, mm -hmm. you know. You know, you know, we need to be a little smart also with our faith. So that prayer was kind of a model prayer, just to show us how you go about it. And we will get into, into some of that. So the first one we're going to look at is prayers of thanksgiving. And it's, it's not often that you hear people pray a prayer of thanksgiving. That's all they pray. They there's no asking, there's no asking, there's no nothing, it's just thanking God for who He is, what He means to you, uh, and so on. And we find very good examples of this in the Psalms. There's lots of good prayer examples in the Psalms. And it's good to, to read some of those, because they will inspire you when you go to prayer. And just help you along. Uh, if you sometimes don't know what to say and, and, and how to go about it. So I have this quote here of Psalm 103, right? Yeah. Psalm uh, of David, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Uh, it's a long psalm. It's, it's a very good psalm to read. It's very edifying. And that's just one example. Now, Thanksgiving... There's something about thanksgiving that touches the heart of God. And I, I think we should maybe see how we can, we can add more thanksgiving into our prayers. And this always is a good example of the, uh, the ten lepers when they came to Jesus, there's ten of them. And they asked him to clean them of their leprosy. And he did. And so and he told them to go to the priest because according to the law, that's what they had to do uh, uh, for a testimony to the priest. Because nobody's ever been really healed except of Naaman, who was a Syrian. He was not even a Jew, way back in the Old Testament. 
And so it was going to be a testimony to the priest. And so they went, the ten of them. And one of them, when he noticed as they left, that he was, he was cleansed, which means the leprosy was gone. But you know what leprosy does to you, right? It destroys your, your flesh. And so let's read there from uh, Luke 7, verse 15 to 20. It's in the notes. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. I always find it interesting that uh, you'll find often that people are not so reserved when they come before God with something. <laughs> this guy, I mean, you know, God, Jesus did the big thing for him. And he was glad. He came with a loud voice. It's not so reserved, not so quiet. That's what religion does. It's, it, it silences you. It just takes all the joy out of it. And um, that's, not, that's not how God wants to see us, you know. Have you noticed when you, when you go into churches, everybody looks sour? <laughs> There's no joy, you know, as if they come to a funeral or something. Uh, but, God, you know, the Bible tells us over and over again to be joyful. Jesus said, you know, my peace I give to you. And they said, and I want your joy to be full, not empty. Anyway, let's read on. And with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found to return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to, he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. So first of all, his joy, his thanksgiving, Jesus counted that as faith. Secondly, he received something the others did not. Because Jesus said, your faith. They were all healed, right? They were all, all ten of them were healed. But this one received something the others did not. Your faith has made you well. So all I can think of is that Whatever was eaten away was restored. So faith has made you well. I'm just speculating, but he got something the others did not get. Okay, so the next kind of prayer is prayers of praise and worship. So uh, we've, we're not very familiar with this because uh, we associate praise and worship with music and song. But that's not always true. Uh, there's lots of examples <coughs> in, in the Bible of praise and worship that was spoken and in and, and, and prayer to God. It's just the communicating to God, bringing it before God, expressing our adoration to Him. There's nothing wrong, of course, with singing it and uh, uh, making music and so on. But there's also a time when you don't have that with you, that you can still worship God and, and praise Him. Uh, I'm just mentioning in the notes here that it's not that God needs the praise and the worship, but we do. 
Because we, 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 we do praise God. We do in the way that we need to praise God. All right. Yeah. We need to praise Him and worship Him. Because when you begin to worship Him and praise Him, you begin to, to exalt His, His attributes as God. Uh, his power, His wisdom, His love for us, and all His grace and His mercy. And I mean, the list is long. And you begin to focus on, uh, when you do that, your faith begins to grow. And you begin to see God in His glory, in His, in his power, in His love for you, and all of that. It, it, it does wonders to your faith. So there's a very uh, good place for this kind of prayer. And actually, to start your prayers, usually, not with your, your requests, but honoring Him. It just puts you in the right mood <laughs> to go to God with uh, whatever request you have. Uh, David, of whom God said that he was a man after his own heart, loved to praise God and worship Him in his psalms. Now the psalms were songs, but uh, we don't always sing them today, right? Uh, we, we read them and we pray them and, and that's perfectly fine. So I'm just quoting this one here in Psalm 8, just to give us a good example of, of something like this. Psalm 8, and to the chief musician on the instrument of Gath, the psalm of David, O Lord, O Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. We set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength. Because of your enemies, uh, because of your enemies, that thou may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, uh, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels. Now, if you go into the Hebrew, if you go into the Blue Letter Bible and check that out, it says you made him a little lower than Elohim. Elohim is God. I'm just saying that. <laughs> you, we need to see how God looks at us. Uh, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. What a beautiful way to worship God and praise Him. So we have all these examples in Scripture, and I mean they go from beginning to end. It's all through Scripture. And so we don't always, we don't only praise God and worship Him when things go well. We also do, because God is still God, He's still who He is, He's still looking at us, as his children, nothing has changed except for our circumstances. But other, other than that, nothing changed. And we can still go to him in confidence. 
course, we know that he loves us, he cares about us, and that, uh, that he will, will pay attention to, uh, to our prayer. And there's a very good prayer over there in the book of Habakkuk. It's also in the notes there, page 12. Verse 12, verse 17 to 19. Chapter 12. One, two, three. 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 Thank you. Listen. 17 to 19. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no hurt in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer feet, and he will make me walk on my high heels to the chief musician with stringed instruments. There's Habakkuk's prayer that he prayed when things did not go well. And there's there's place for that. We don't feel like that, but you remember we don't go by feelings, we go by faith. Uh, We can never be motivated by feelings, because your feelings change all the time. You feel like this in the morning and like that in the afternoon, right? (laughs) And then you disagree with yourself. So how can you depend on your feelings when you go to God? No, we go by faith based on who God is, and how we get to know him through scripture. Here's one from the New Testament, Romans chapter 8, verses 33 to 36. If, if you read that chapter, when you, before you get to this passage, you almost feel Paul is going to break out in praise. You, you almost expect this to come. There's all the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Not asking for anything. It's just worship. Praise to God. So the next kind of prayer is supplications. This is, I believe, the most well-known. And uh, there is room for that, of course. Paul asked for supplication when he asked the Ephesians church, church to pray for him and for one another. And so it's all through the Bible that we pray for one another. Uh, supplication is a request for an appeal. You know, ask something from God. It means to bring your needs before the Lord, probably the best known of all kinds of prayers. So here's a very well-known passage in Ephesians chapter 6. I read from verses 17 to 20. And take the helmet of salvation. Now, there's a, there's a, there's a thing in, in, in Christianity about this passage that's actually comical, if not sad. 
And that is some people go through a ritual in the morning and they say, I put on the helmet of salvation. And they go through this whole thing. And it actually means nothing, to be honest. Uh, what we read here is a lifestyle. It's not a ritual. It's, it's a lifestyle. It's a kind of life we're expected to live. And so when he says, talk, I, I don't want to, we spend time on this in some other lesson, but uh, we'll spend a little bit on this. When he talks about the helmet of salvation, uh, that your, the helmet covers your head. And that is that you focus under all circumstances, nothing, it doesn't matter what comes against you or what happens, that you need to know that you know that you know. I'm saved. That changes everything about how I'm going to approach whatever is coming against me. You need to know that. You cannot doubt that, because the moment you doubt that one, you're going to go in the wrong direction. So putting on the helmet of salvation is you protect that knowledge that I'm saved. I'm standing in a relationship with him. I'm not separated from him. I'm standing under an open heaven because I'm saved from the wrath of God that is to come. And the sword of the Spirit <coughs> is the word of God, as we know. You use the word of God, like Jesus did when the devil tempted him. Matthew chapter 4. It is written. It is written. And so when things go wrong, all you say, it is written. It's written. You know, we have this tendency to... to, to, to mention our problem over and over and over and over again. Instead of saying, it is written, it is written, it is written. <laughs> you know, we speak our problem instead of our faith, instead of what, what God speaks. We need to align with Him. So we need to take up uh, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying always with all prayer. Now that includes all prayer, right? That's prayers of worship, that's prayers of thanksgiving. It's all, it's all of it. With all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. See, that's just the main thing in Paul's life. That's the only thing he cared about. And that's the only prayer you'll always find Paul praying is for the Word of God to go out, for the Gospel to go out. That's the only thing that matters to him. So, Paul included the prayer of supplication in this, on, uh, this, on his teaching on the spiritual war that we endure. So when you read Ephesians 6, especially that part there, this last part of that chapter, he's talking about the spiritual warfare. We, we, we're engaged in a spiritual warfare. And there are ways to go about it. I'm a little tempted to go that way, but we'll stick to 
what we're sticking to. <laughs> but the devil comes, he knows how to defeat us. He knows. So he's coming like he came to Eve with questions about the Word of God. And does it really apply to you? And so on. Yeah. He's sowing doubt. That's what he does. So the only way to combat him is with truth. And truth is in the Word of God. That's why Jesus kept on saying, it is written, it is written. He backed off. He had no choice. He had to go. Because he knows the Word of God is settled in heaven forever. It's not going to change. That's the final word. There's nothing I can say about it. He'll back off. That's it. And so um, when I talk about this and I see the spiritual war that we're in, I always see those big Japanese sumo, uh, sumo fighters. There's two in the ring. And, and the game is, well, if you, the one that you can push out, that one loses, right? He's, he's, the, he's the loser. So that's what the devil does. We're in that ring, he's, and that ring is called truth. He's trying to push us out, push us out, push us out, out of truth. Because once we're out of truth, we'll not only be losing the fight, but we will be in his territory. So that's why, that's how you go about this. So we're the one that's going to do the pushing here. With truth. Until we win. And you know, sometimes, you know, you don't win by the first push. It takes a while. So we don't give up. We keep on pushing. Keep on pushing. Until the victory is there. You'll back off. In the end. Uh, the Christian lifestyle resembles the armor of a soldier. It's a life of walking in truth and righteousness. The zeal to evangelize, standing in faith while under attack, a mental perception of your salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is to speak the Word of God in a hostile situation. Well, this is a powerful way to live. He added prayer as a weapon. That's our weapon. Note the goal of Paul's request uh, for prayer is in the offensive, namely for open doors to invade the enemy's territory uh, with the gospel, the very center of God's heart. It is not God's will for anyone to perish, but that all should come to repentance. First uh, Peter 5 verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because of your adversary, the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. It's good to make up your mind not to be the one who's going to be devoured. Right. He's, he's the one who's going to back off. I think one of the reasons, and we'll get to that, why we sometimes don't see as prayer is we give up too soon. We don't realize it's a war. We think it's just, you know, I'm sending, I'm sending a request to God and he's going to send the answer. Well, it's not always like that. And you're going to fight. Because the devil's not going to give up easily. He wants you to doubt. 
He wants you to suffer. Jesus said he came to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what he does to you. And uh, he's not going to just back off just because you asked for something. He's getting in there. He's going to fight. Now, you'll know over there in, in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, uh, Daniel was praying. And he was fasting. And he was into his third week. Then the angel came and spoke with him, and he said, the first day that you start praying, God sent me. But the devil resisted me from coming. And so Michael, that is, that is the, the general of God's army, he came and he assisted me, and that's why I'm here to, to tell you what's going to happen. So there was a three-week war going on in the heavenlies that Daniel didn't even know about. So now we know and we understand that there's a spiritual war going on. And it's about us. We're the prize. We're the trophy. The devil wants us. God wants us. And it's about us. And in the end, we're going to decide where we're going to go. And our faith in God makes a difference. You don't give up. Even if you lose the battle, you still don't give up. Just never give up. Just never give up. But you can't afford to give up. Uh, <clears throat> we, uh, we just keep on fighting and fighting. And sometimes it's a long war with many battles. Sometimes it's not that long. Uh, we need to learn to fight. See ourselves as soldiers. Of Christ. So praying for one another in the fellowship is an essential part of our prayer life, which brings us to the next type of prayer, and that's intercession. So intercession is to pray on behalf of somebody else who either will not pray, cannot pray, is too overwhelmed to pray, Maybe not in a position, whatever, but that person is not praying. So we come in as a proxy and we pray on behalf of that person. That's intercession. So we stand, we stand in the gap, so to speak, and uh, bring that person's request uh, before the Lord. Now, it's interesting to know and, and, and not interesting, it's very powerful to know that Jesus also intercedes for us. And don't forget that. But look at this one, Luke 22, verse 31 and 32, there at the top of the page. Page 13. And the Lord said, this is just before Jesus was going to the cross. And Jesus knew that this was going to do a number on Peter. To see him suffer and go through all of that. And so, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you. Note that. That he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Isn't that interesting? 
I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. See how important our faith is. That's the thing Jesus prayed for, that his faith will not fail. Hebrews 7.25 is a verse that you should underline, highlight, draw a circle around it, <laughs> make some stars next to it. <clears throat> you can never forget this verse. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives, make <coughs> intercession for them. He always lives to make intercession for us. So Jesus is sitting on the right hand of God. He's on the throne making intercession for us. This is very, very powerful. This is a big faith build-up. But when you struggle and you go through a really rough time, this can bring peace to you, knowing that Jesus is interceding for you. So intercession does in prayer what the Good Samaritan did for the wounded man that he found injured by the wayside. I'll read from Luke chapter 10. 33 to 35. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and he saw him. So uh, I'm just skipping the story. Uh, he had, uh, when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave it to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever you spend when I come again, I will repay you. So he placed himself in that victim's shoes and helped him, took care of his costs and everything until uh, he was back to health again. So an intercessor comes alongside someone who cannot pray himself for whatever reason. It might be for the salvation of a sinner, a sick person, or someone who struggles under a heavy burden. Like the Good Samaritan, he continues to bear that burden until it is lifted, even if it takes a long time. So just keep on interceding. So. Uh, uh, I know my parents were interceding for me when I just kind of went my own way. And because uh, I know that, I, I always knew that because I could hear them praying. So my dad's booming voice, like six o'clock in the morning, it's hard to miss. <laughs> and you kind of just brush it away. But the day came when that prayer was answered. So he was interceding for us as children. Uh, very powerful, and uh, we need to do we need to do that. We pray for one another. So this one, next one, is prayers of consecration. Now, I think we mix some of this into our prayer sometimes, and we need to. And that's why I said we need to know what we're doing. So the prayer of consecration is probably the least prayer of all. It's the kind of prayer 
that you pray when you set yourself apart for service to the Lord, which always involves sacrifice. To consecrate yourself is to make a commitment to God. Jesus prayed the prayer of consecration in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was arrested. It was a difficult moment because he knew what was waiting on him. And we read about that story of how he prayed. And they asked the disciples to pray with him. They fell asleep. He went to pray again. He came back and was still sleeping again. They just didn't understand the significance of that moment. But Jesus prayed uh, this prayer, and we can pick this up there at the bottom of the page, Luke 22, verse 41. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now we know and Jesus knew what the will of God was. And that was he had to come and die in our place <coughs> and, 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 and receive the penalty for our sin. And it, it, I, 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 I'm sometimes wondering what was worse. Was it the, uh, the punishment or the sin that was going to put, be put upon him. The son of the world, can you imagine all the horrible things people do put on him? He didn't want any of that. And, and still he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Which tells you, Jesus knew the will of God. He had no doubt about it. He was trying to get out of it, right? Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like a great drops of blood falling down to the ground. So there was a conflict of wills between his will and God's will in that moment. Uh, even though he knew the will of God, he was trying a way out of it, to get out of it. Yet he said, not my will be done, but yours. So we, we might find ourselves in that type of situation too, at times, where I know the will of God, but I don't like the will of God. And it's okay to tell God that, I guess, right? <laughs> Jesus did. <laughs> oh, yeah. Say, I don't oh, like yeah. this, but I know that this is what... You know, he was tempted, the Bible says, in all ways that we are tempted. So his flesh was rebelling against this thing. That's what happened there. And he was trying to find a way out of it. But he always also knew, not my will, but your will be done. That's the consecration. And that's when you say, your will be done. When you know, you know the will of God, but you don't like it. <laughs> you consecrate yourself and say, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. I don't want to do it, but I will do it. Your will be done. That's a prayer of consecration. So the will of God 
must always be central in all of our prayers. And you know, that, that's just a given. You cannot get away from that. We need to know the will of God. So Jesus knew the will of God, but in that moment, it was a little hard to, 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 to accept. Not a little, it was very hard to accept. And uh, he had to pray that prayer. And I believe also for us to know that times will come when we need to pray that prayer. <laughs> when God's going to ask you to do something that you don't really want to do. And you're going to say, not my will, but yours will be done. Can I ask a question? Sure. Okay, so we pray for someone who's ill. Mm -hmm. How do we know what God's will is? First of all, you read about God's will in Isaiah 53, where Jesus took all our sicknesses upon him, and he went to the cross. And Isaiah said in that chapter, by his stripes we are healed. So Jesus already paid for it. That's for the sins, but I'm talking about we pray for someone's health. Yeah, know? that's no, that's that is health. Really? Oh yeah. First uh, Peter two, I believe twenty four. If you can look at that quickly. Let's let's quickly go there. First Peter two. First Peter two. Let's begin at 22. First Peter 2, verse 22. I'll read back up further. 21. First Peter 2, verse 21. It says, For this you were called, or for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was the seed found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. So when Jesus went to the cross, the same price paid for our redemption and our healing. So you cannot doubt uh, you cannot doubt that it is the will of God to heal us. First uh, Corinthians chapter 12. And let's look from verse 7. So this is talking about the Holy Spirit now. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to the one is given uh, the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. Now, this faith is not the faith that we have in God. This is kind of a supernatural faith when you are faced with something that's more than you can handle. That's when the Holy Spirit comes in and He gives you a boost, so to speak. Uh, verse 10. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Uh, sorry, I missed this one in verse 9. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healings. Plural. By the same spirit. So yes, the Holy Spirit. He comes <coughs> with gifts of healings. Plural. The only gift that comes in plural. One of the names of God is Jehovah Rapha, which means I'm the Lord your healer. So it doesn't matter how you look at it from scriptural point of view. I'm not talking about our experiential point of view. I'm talking about scripture now. As far as scripture is concerned, no one was ever turned away who asked for healing. Nobody. Never. You will never find it nowhere in scripture. Now, we don't experience it to that extent. But looking from a scriptural point of view, we have all the reason to believe that it is the will of God to heal us. Thank you. You're welcome. So, I think we're ready for time. Okay, we're Okay, so next time we're going to look at why some prayers are not answered.